me on first. There you go. I'd like to say uh, thanks to the worship team. Every week they do a uh, great job. And they do it more than just now. They have to practice during the week and come together and, and all of those things. And um, today, their efforts brought me before the Lord. And I am thankful for that. And uh, so thank you, Zach, and every member of our worship team. I ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 24. Yes, we're breaking into a new chapter in the book of Exodus as we make our way through there. Turn to Exodus chapter 24. When you get to Exodus chapter 24, which is on page 88 in the Pew Bible, if you want to grab that Pew Bible there in front of you, when you get to Exodus chapter 24, put your finger on verse 3 and I will meet you there in just a minute. Now, for some of you, this might be hard. I spent some time thinking about it this week as well. Do you remember the first time you took the Lord's Supper? I do. Um, I had recently been saved at the age of 11, and the church I grew up in, which was a small Southern Baptist church in East, East, East Tennessee, in Johnson City, Tennessee, we had the Lord's Supper or communion once a quarter without fail. Once a quarter, once a quarter, once a quarter, once a quarter. And so when I was saved, I knew it was just a matter of time before that once a quarter was going to show up. So I saw my first time of, tearing, of taking part of the Lord's Supper coming ahead of time. And I recall it as a young child being a very big Thing to do. I had watched people do it growing up in the church. I was excited. I was also a little concerned because it was a big deal. And I wasn't sure what all it meant, but I knew that I wanted to take part in it. You know, if we're not careful, we can do things just because we do things. You guys get what I'm saying, right? We don't make them special. We get used to doing things, and so they just become things we do instead of losing the special impact, the importance of it in our lives. And when we do things just because we do things, we forget the exact reason or the meanings. We stop allowing it to be purposeful in our lives. We, allow it, we stop allowing it to be special. We stop allowing it to be a time when we remember and a time when we obey. And if we're not careful, we can forget what it stands for, what we are to remember through the Lord's Supper. Jesus, perfect and holy, was sent by God the Father to live for us and to die for us and to be resurrected on the third day and to yet live again for us. Scripture teaches that his blood being shed opened up the opportunity for mankind to be made right with God. That through faith, a man could be redeemed, be made right, bought back by the blood of Jesus. Church, can I tell you that the blood of Jesus is powerful? The blood of Jesus is more powerful than your sin. But yet we allow our sins so many times to rule our lives. 
And it's because we forget how powerful the blood of Jesus is. The blood of Jesus is not, is, is, your sin is nothing compared to the power of the blood of Jesus. You know, when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, the power of that blood was enough to take care of sin then and before and every day since, in this moment in your life and every day forward, if you would but come to know Jesus as your Savior. The blood of Jesus is more powerful than the sin that you could feel bound up by right this moment. And so I pray that in this moment, you will allow the blood of Jesus to begin to set you free. You see, once we understand the power of the blood of Jesus to forgive us, to cleanse us, to redeem us, to make us right before God, then the Lord's Supper has taken its rightful place in our lives as being a very special time, a time that Jesus told us himself to remember and to do. So I pray today in the next few minutes that we are together, that this becomes a special time, not because we're doing something for the first time in a long time, which we are, but because what we're doing is remembering what Jesus has done for us. Amen. And I pray today that if you are a child of God, you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, that you will use this as a time to be drawn closer to Him, to recommit to Him, to confess before Him any challenges that you're facing. And I pray that if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I pray that you will see that God's love for you knows no bounds. And that God, through His Son, makes every way for you to be made right with him today. So I ask you to stand with me as we read from the book of Exodus. We're going to read verses 3 through 8. Exodus chapter 24, picking up in verse 3. Let's read. It said, So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said, we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in the basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Thank you, church. You may sit there. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. We're going to spend a few minutes talking about this and many things in our time together. I began my preparation this week, my praying, my reading, my studying, my seeking of the Lord for what he would have for us to talk about. I picked up in Genesis chapter 20, verse 18. And you're going, Jeff, why did you start in Genesis chapter 20, verse 18? Because last week we completed a seven-week 
emphasis on the Ten Commandments, which ended at Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. And I don't want to skip anything that God has for us. And so in Genesis chapter 20, I mean, Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, I started reading. Let me tell you what I found. In Exodus chapter 20, you don't have to go there. I'm just going to catch you up and I'll be in verse 24, I mean, chapter 24 in just a second. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 22, God tells Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel. Now, I pray that later today you will desire to grab God's word, open it up to Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, and begin to read all the way up to where we are today. And you're going, Jeff, you want me to read chapter 20, 21, 22, 23, and 24? Yes. I pray that you'll take that time and do that. But what you'll find is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 22, God tells Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel. And picking up at that verse and going through, God begins to extol many clarifications, many judgments, and many expectations that he has for his people as they find themselves in various and sundry situations in life. And God speaks to Moses in this manner, giving him great detail, beginning in Exodus chapter 20, verse 22, all the way, Exodus chapter 23, all the way to verse 33. As I mentioned, I want to encourage you to take time to read this, but in Exodus chapter 24, verse 3, which is where we pick up today, Moses told the people all the words and judgments of the Lord. Now, did you notice that in chapter 20, 22, God said, Moses, tell the people. And when you get to Exodus chapter 24, after God had completed telling Moses these words, that Moses obediently told the people. Three simple points I just want to make from that. When God tells you to speak to someone, he expects you to speak to someone. Now, Moses didn't have to wonder, God, who do you want me to speak to? He knew that he was to speak to the children of Israel because God told him, I want you to tell these words to the children of Israel. And I believe that if you're serious about living your life for God, that there will come a time when God will speak to you and he will tell you that he wants you to speak his words to somebody else. And I do not believe, based upon Scripture and the experience of my life, that you're going to have to wonder who that is. Nor do I wonder what you'll have to say. You see, the disciples were taught not to worry about what they would say in that moment, but that when that moment came, that the Spirit of God would provide them the words to say. Amen? And we saw that example in their lives. But he expects us to speak to someone, and I believe he'll tell you, who that someone is. When God tells you to speak to someone, he will tell you who that someone is. And when God tells you to speak, he will give you the words to speak. And Moses heard God say, tell the people. Moses heard the words of God. And then Moses, scripture says, told the people all the words of God. Verse three, after hearing Moses tell them all the words that God had spoken. Verse three, it says, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which this Lord has said, we will do. Now you think about that. 
We're talking about a, you know, we just handle just a little bit of business here in our welcome time in order to rotate on seven deacons. And then we as a church got to vote and best I can tell, everybody who was here that had a right to vote voted yes. They said, we agree. And then nobody having the opportunity disagreed. So we were all in unity when it came to that. The people responded to God when they heard his words. They heard him. They knew the expectations and they agreed. Now we know about these people. We know that they just made a big time commitment before God and we've read further in the word of God. We know that they're not going to live up to it effectively. That it's a real challenge. You see, responding to God, church, is a very big commitment. It's actually a life-changing commitment. Ask you a question. Have you responded to God yet? Do you know what he has said? Do you know what he expects from you? Do you know what he desires for you to do. Or let me ask you a question this way. If your answer is yes, I've responded to God. Did you mean it? Did you mean it? In that moment, did you mean it? Have you faithfully been driving and seeking to keep all his words, words you heard, words you knew, and words you agreed to? So after verse three, where Moses tells all the people the words of God and the people hear the words of God and the people understand the words of God and then the people agree to do all that God says, verse four says, Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. Wow. You know, we've said a lot of big time things. I don't think in verse three, it says that God, that Moses told the people all the words of God. One little verse carries so much activity that happened. Same thing happened here in verse four. It says, now Moses wrote down all the words of God. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God said, Moses, write it down? And aren't you glad that Moses was faithful to write it down? Because church, if Moses had not taken the time to obey the call of God, to hear and to write it all down, we wouldn't have this scripture today. Aren't you glad that God said, I want my people to know who I am, what I expect, and how they are to act. Verse four, it says that Moses rose early and built an altar at the foot of Mount Sinai. You know, they've been camping there for a little while now. And verse five says, then he sent young men to offer burnt offerings and sacrifices to the Lord. Do you know that when you remember at the Lord's Supper, you're not remembering what your church did. You're not remembering what you did when you were young. Our focus is to remember and bring our lives and sacrifice unto the Lord. So as we take the Lord's Supper here in just a few minutes, I want to remind you that while it appears as though we're taking a large activity as a family of God together, the reality is, is that when you take your turn to take the Lord's Supper, you and God are having a moment that he desires to remind you of who he is, 
and desires that you commit all of yourself to him. But look in verse six. Not only did he send the men to offer burnt offerings and sacrifices to the Lord, verse six says that Moses captured the blood. Now, I don't know how much blood it is, but we have to recognize that this is probably a very large offering because it's a very large amount of people. And so it's a lot of animals and it's a lot of blood. But scripture is very clear here. It says that Moses captured the blood. And do you recall when we were reading that, or you can see it there, that he sprinkled half of it on the altar and that he put half in basins. That means that he collected it and had it reserved. And look what he did next. Look at verse 7. He says he took the book of the covenant, all of God's word captured up until that time, and he read it in the hearing of all the people. Now, it's interesting. They have lived this. They have experienced this. They have heard Moses share this just a few verses ago. And now Moses takes this written word and he stands before them and he reads it to them. And it moves the people. How do we know that it moves the people? Because look in verse 7. After hearing the written word of God read, they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. I hope that God's word is still powerful enough in your life that when you read it or when you hear it read, that you are moved. Moved to understand God's love for you, moved to respond to God, moved to commit yourself to him. Look at verse eight. It said that Moses took the blood, the half that he had reserved, some of you are going to make a funny face here, and it says, and he sprinkled it on the people. And while he was sprinkling it on the people, he said these words, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Do you see that in the promise that God made to the children of Israel, in the covenant that he created in this special relationship with him, the blood played a key part. Then, in church, we've read more. We know that the, blood, that the blood plays the key part as we've come to know Jesus as Savior. Amen? Blood is still a critically important part of how we come to know Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to do something very unique with me today. This is where God stilled me and said, Jeff, here's what I think we should do. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. When you get to the book of Hebrews, I want you to go to chapter 9. If you're grabbing that pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 1,379. Hebrews chapter 9 and go to verse 11. I'm going to give you a moment to make sure that you're there. I would encourage everybody who will to take their Bible and turn there. Now, I'm getting ready to read a passage to us. You're going to be able to remain seated, and you're going to have the Scripture there, and I pray that you will follow through with me. 
It'll also be on the screen in case that's how you desire to see it. Hebrews chapter 9, picking up in verse 11. You see, God has called me, I believe, to read his word to us today. On this day that we remember, on this day we commit ourselves again to him. Church, I'm going to read this extended passage, and, and it's going to be a, a, a good-sized chunk of God's word. But before I read that, I want us to pray. So church, let's pray together. Father, we come before you in this moment, and we thank you for your love for us. Father, you know who we are, you know how we are, and yet you love us anyway. And you, Father, have provided the supreme, perfect sacrifice to cover our sin. That as we by faith, Father, come to accept Christ, we can be made right. Father, I thank you for the word that you have provided then and now, so that as we read it, Father, we can be reminded of who you are, reminded of your love, drawn closer to you, convicted and sincere before you. Father, I thank you for those that are at home reading with us and those that are in this room. We pray, Father, that you will teach us through your word. Lord, I pray that your word would be clear. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us through your word, that you would grant us wisdom, honesty, that you would challenge us, Father, to put our lives in line with you and that you would encourage us. And we pray all of this, Father, in the great name of Jesus. Amen. All right, church, hopefully you are at Hebrews chapter 9, picking up in verse 11. I'm going to read there and into uh, a good part of chapter 10. So let's just read the Word of God and imagine that this is as close as we're going to get to what we just read that happened in the book of Exodus. So let's read that together. Hebrews chapter 9, picking up in verse 11, and remember, we're heading toward the Lord's table. It says, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had, had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, 
He took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Catch this, church. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Church, did you notice right there that everything in Exodus is a copy of what's in heaven, and God is teaching us, but that Jesus came and replaced all the copies with the real, permanent, Revelation of God in himself. Verse 24, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then, why would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, this is Jesus, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Church, do you see that the will of God was to send his son, Jesus? Keep up with me here. Verse eight, previously saying, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, that would be Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Amen. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law into their hearts and in their minds, I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. 
Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is the flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as it is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. May God bless the reading of his word. Church, as you just said, all the people said, Amen. So here's my couple of questions for you. What's your response? You see, we saw twice in our segment in Exodus where the people heard the words of God and heard the words of God read to them, and they said, we will do all that the Lord says. We have just heard about the greatest sacrifice of what Jesus has provided. What is your response? You see, church, today, I believe, is a time to examine our lives before God. It's what Scripture calls us to do before we remember at the Lord's Supper. Today is a time, once we examine, to allow ourselves to confess before God what that or those things in our lives that are not pleasing to Him might be. Today is also a time to remember all that God through Christ did because of his love for you. Amen. And today is a time to commit or to recommit your life more fully to God. We're going to come to a time now of invitation. You know, I've just given you the challenges from God's Word. Examine, confess, remember, commit. I pray that you'll allow that to be moved in your life and validated by the Holy Spirit. See, we know what God wants from us. We know what the Spirit is desiring to do in our lives. It's now time for us church, as Israel did, to respond. So I'm going to be here, and this is a time that I encourage you, if there is a decision that you and God need to take care of right now, something that you need to confess, something that you need to clear with Him, you need to do that before you do the Lord's Supper. And you can do that right where you stand. This altar is here. If you want to do that, I am here if I can encourage you and walk with you in any way. 